0: Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive.
1: In today's show, we're interviewing Ross Stryker, the founder and CEO of Smart Asset Opportunities, Now, we often talk about mindset and what it takes to create financial freedom with cash flow from assets and building wealth outside of Wall Street and taking control of your financial destiny. Now, that's why we here at The Money Advantage help business owners to build time and money freedom using our three-step cash flow system to help you keep more of the money you make, protect that money, and then make more. Now, here's a man who's done it all in just four years. So it's possible and it's possible for you too. So today we're going to get the opportunity to talk with a man who was liberated by the power of his choices, just as you can be as well. So let's talk a little bit more about who is Ross Stryker. Well, after 12 years of serving in the military and over 20 years of running his successful private practice, Ross Stryker realized that if he didn't alter his course, he'd be trading hours for dollars forever. It was this belief that led him to launch smart asset opportunities. He's been involved in projects totaling over a hundred million and owns forty plus single family homes, fourteen ATMs, a coffee farm in Panama, apartment complexes, office parks, storage units, and ownership in a Belizean resort. Ross is living proof that your money is better off of Wall Street and you can achieve financial freedom. Now four years. Now, just four years after his awakening, Ross's investments and passive real estate income streams have surpassed his former transactional income, for example, his hours for dollars. With over $2.5 out in total commercial project loans, Ross has an eye for tangible assets that have a proven tax advantage, high returns, and allow for stable, continuous cash flow. Ross shares his wealth of real estate knowledge in a weekly blog and his two books. To be a smart asset opportunities investor is to understand your why beyond extra zeros in your bank account. For Ross, it's sharing everything he knows so that others may find their own financial success and freedom. When he's not working on real estate deals, you might find him boating with Robert Kiyosaki, better known as Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So let's dive in. Hi, and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. I'm Rachel Marshall along with my co host Bruce Weiner. Good morning, Bruce.
0: Good morning, Rachel. And as always, it's nice to be here with you. And uh, it's actually very exciting to be here because I'm uh, I'm very proud of our state of Missouri, even though it's a flyover state. And we get to talk to another Missourian today, uh, Russ Stryker, and he has our same mindset. So I'm very, very excited. I hope our listeners uh, uh, hang in there the entire time because I know Ross is going to have a lot of things to offer you today.
1: Absolutely. So today we do have a special guest. That's Ross Stryker. Ross, welcome to the show.
2: Rachel, thanks for having me. Bruce as well. And uh, I know this stuff is supposed to be evergreen. Somebody might be listening to this in July, but I'm glad to be recording inside a building because outside (laughs) the building where I'm at, it's minus four degrees. That's actual temperature. So um anyway, it's it's great to be with you guys and recording from inside uh, a location. So
1: Absolutely. Well, we're glad that you're warm as well. So we don't hear any shivering in the background. Yes. So tell us about who you were before you came into starting Smart Asset Opportunities.
2: Okay, well, as I like to jokingly say, I'm a recovering orthodontist. So I was from the dental profession. Okay. Um Out of dental school, I went into the military for 12 years, and um, I served in the Army for 12 years and was stationed at Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, got out and set up private practice and was in private practice of orthodontics for 23 years. And as I reached my middle to late 50s, I I guess I'm a late bloomer on waking up and paying attention to things. We'd, We'd been good stewards of our money. We'd accumulated money. And we'd invested the traditional way people have always been told, and they're educated. We'll talk more about that. I'm sure we'll get into that in more depth. But as we reached that age, we realized that the traditional way of thinking just wasn't working for us. And uh, fortunately, we found a mentoring group called Freedom Founders, which is mainly dentists and physicians and some veterinarians. And they coach people on investing in real estate. And so we went to one of their meetings. Mm-hmm. We were a little skeptical. Well, what's this real estate thing? That's for other people to invest in. We're you know, we're busy professionals. We're running an orthodontic practice because my wife worked there with me. She's not an orthodontist, but she uh, kept me under control working with 24 team members and kept me from hurting somebody probably, as I jokingly say. But anyway, <laughs> we went nice. to the meeting and our our eyes were open to a whole world that we didn't know was going on around us. I mean, it's almost like the matrix, you know, you take Mm -hmm. the red pill and you suddenly look around and you're like, there's all these things going on around you. You had no idea. And so when you come from the traditional investing community and and I'm not poo pooing those people, they have a product to sell, they're good people, but the, the the thing, Rachel, it is it for ninety five percent ninety five percent of people in the dental profession retire to a lifestyle less than what they were used to while they were working,
0: mm-hmm. and you know what
2: that mirrors society as a whole, and, yes, and that absolutely. just means that the system is not working for people. That's these aren't stupid people; these are smart people, and yet mm-hmm. they're retiring to a lifestyle. So we we found a way to replace our transactional income with passive income quicker. And within a few years, we were able to do that. And so I was able to sell my practice sooner than I thought. Um, And so now we want to help other people do the same thing. And so that's really what Smart Asset Opportunities is about. It's about showing people there's another way to do things. It's really about education. That's really what we're about is education.
1: I love it. And that is so aligned with everything that we talk about here on the Money Advantage podcast and what we're about and what we help people create as well. And I have a really specific question for you. And I want to know what was the realization for you that you said the typical path is not helping us accomplish our goals?
0: So Rachel, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, Ross, we've only known each other for Five minutes, and I'm already going to uh, challenge the way you think. <laughs> we, Rachel, and I both belong to a a um, organization called uh, Prosperity Economics Movement, and you use the word traditional. And when you really think about it, we believe that you know the way that mankind lived most of its economic world, where the you know the, the, they didn't retire; they actually just uh, prov- provided goods and services along the way. Um, and they did and they had good sound economic families that would save, uh, and then they would actually employ those savings into a business, um, real estate, other businesses for goods and services. That is actually traditional. What What we' now think of as traditional is what we refer to as typical financial planning, which we've only thought we only think has been going on for about the last 40 years. When um, the Wall Street um, securities companies selling stocks and mutual funds have been a lot easier to obtain to the to the normal investor through 401ks and the uh, advent of mutual funds. So uh, the only reason I bring that up is not because I'm trying to correct you, because that's not my my deal. But I was just wondering your thoughts on that because our we talk about that with our listeners all the time. The difference between typical and traditional. And traditional is actually what we think uh, has been going on for millennial. And we've gotten away from that particular thing.
2: You know, Bruce, I'll defer to you, but I think we're saying the same thing. I just didn't use the right term. Yeah. So we'll call it it typical. (laughs) We'll call it typical because look, the system now is, and I'm looking at it from a dentist standpoint. Is they would pat, you know, because we were all A students and we got patted on the head and we'd go to college Mm -hmm. and then they patted us on the head and said, go to dental school or medical school if you're a physician. And then what do you do when you get out? Well, you will focus on your craft and you're obviously too stupid to know anything about investing or dollars or, you know, building your financial oh, Of picture. course, because
1: that's only for professionals, right? That's exactly. what Exactly. So you, about, have, right? you
2: have to hand your money over to somebody who uh, is much more knowledgeable about that than you. Mm-hmm. And then hope by the time you get to some magic age of 60 or whatever, that there is some number. I hate that use. Of, I hate those ads that talk about the number you got to reach.
1: Oh, it's, me too. Because You're preaching it, to the choir here. This is so it, good. <laughs> you know,
2: because what it does is it says everything's out of your control. You're yes. going to let somebody else control. What I try and educate people is know how to create money, not how to. In other words, always be imagining how you can create other streams of income. You know, whether it be through your dental practice, or whether it be through other businesses you invest in, or whether it be in in my case, I'm granted I'm biased towards real estate investing, but whatever whatever area you're investing in, make sure you're knowledgeable enough about it so you don't turn everything over to some quote, unquote, air quote expert. Make sure you know how to run things yourself. That, that's that's where the power comes from is having the knowledge to do it yourself. So yeah, we'll we'll exchange typical for traditional. How about that, Bruce? Yeah, I
0: just didn't want our, our, our listeners to get confused, especially because I yeah. believe you are an expert in your field and I'm glad that everybody is listening to you. I um, but I just thought, you know, I wasn't trying to be, uh, uh, you know, uh, argumentative with it, but I was just trying to get your thoughts on that. And I think we are talking about the same thing because uh, it is about um, people saying, hey, you're not the expert. Give all give all your money to me and everything will be all right. And you're absolutely true. If that they've had 40 years to prove to us that it's going to be all right. And it hasn't been all right for most individuals. So, uh, well,
2: and, and one more thing, Bruce. What what do they call investing in real estate? They call it yeah. an alternative investment. I hate As that term. As if something on it the fringe. It get. sounds so nefar- <laughs> nefarious. I mean, like you're doing something risky, and it's just like no. I mean, it, it's been around us for thousands of years. People invest in real estate, and so mm-hmm. to call it alternative makes you know it 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 just works into this now yeah. what you call a typical system because people have been ingrained to think of if they don't put it in Wall Street it's got to be something scary and something they they should not touch.
0: Yes. So. Very great point.
1: And I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. And what's interesting is that you're talking about a lot of the key pieces that we share on a regular basis as well. And one was making sure that you had money that you are putting aside. You're not spending everything you made. So I'm hearing that that was happening even somehow in your mindset before you made the switch. And then I know that you're familiar with Robert Kiyosaki as well and and what he talks about and preaches and the whole idea of the quadrant of moving from that employee and self-employed side of the quadrant over to business ownership, not just where you're a self-employed business owner, but where you have a self-sustaining business that is producing cash flow and then the real estate that's cash flow as well. And so we're usually talking about how do we help somebody to be in a position of having that cash flow or the cash that they control then investing that in cash flowing assets to create the cash flow. And that's what I'm hearing you saying through and through.
2: Yeah. I mean, I'm a Robert Kiyosaki follower. I mean, everybody mentions his first book, but I, you mentioned Cashflow Quadrant, which is really my favorite book of his because although I'm still running a business, and you could look at me in the S quadrant now, which I am, but I'm also in the I quadrant. Now, by Robert's definition of a B quadrant, which has 500 employees or more, I'm never going to be a B quadrant person. But by my definition of a B quadrant, uh, I'm in the B quadrant. And and that is that I ha- invest in businesses that I don't have to be there uh, opening the door, that other people are managing them for me. And so, So I consider myself a little bit of an S still, but more of an I and a B, and that's where I want to graduate to. if people are familiar with this. Absolutely, and they
1: are, and we can put the link to the book and also to the image in the show notes. So you had this idea then, at some point, you said, this isn't working for me. What was that exactly for you? Was it just the realization that your retirement lifestyle, quote unquote, was going to be less than your, your income? During working, or was there something else that made that shift that said typical is not working?
2: Yeah, that that was that was part of it. And I will tell you, Rachel, going even further, uh, and this is how foggy I was about things at that time was, I I literally convinced myself that I loved my profession of orthodontics so much that I was just going to do it until I died. And then it was like a light bulb went off when I realized that there were ways to invest that you didn't have to look what 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 do we traditionally hear? once you get to that quote unquote retirement age you're going to have to invest in something more conservative mm-hmm. like municipal bonds or whatever like that and your returns are going to be three or four percent well not that my wife and i felt like we have such a exorbitant lifestyle although by most people's standards, we probably have spend about as much as some small countries each year. But most working professionals that are making dentists—I'll give them as an example—making two or three hundred thousand dollars a year, if they're going to have a return of three percent, they're going to have to have a substantial amount of money saved up. But if you then go to a group like we did that said, no, you can you can easily make eight or ten percent, and that's that's not being all that risky and again I'm not getting into the risk or securities thing here but to me now looking back when i heard 8 or 10% i didn't believe it at first now i won't accept anything that makes 8 or 10% because it's it's too little i know by being just a little bit active so it changes your whole mindset about what kind of amount of money you need to have to make things work. And and the other thing is if you really want to be active, you don't even need any money. You can use other people's money to invest in things. If you're knowledgeable about something enough to know how to do that and not risk their money, that that's a whole nother level of responsibility. Oh, it's, that's
1: though. huge. And so I am, I really want to understand. So in your bio, we talk about how you were able to then break out of the rat race in Kiyosaki's terms, or be able to replace your income with passive income from assets over the span of about four years, right? So when you launched into that, were you working with your own capital? Were you working with other people's money? What was that starting, that kickoff, uh, the diving board for you to get into alternative investment?
2: Yeah, we were working with our own capital. We were working with people in the first group that I was part of, which I'm not part of anymore, so I'm not... I, I'm I'm not promoting them. I'm I'm just saying that's where we started. And I think you have to start with some kind of mentoring group. And nobody's smart enough to do this. On, well, most people are not smart enough to do this on their own. They have to have somebody, help somebody they know. Yeah. Like, it's even having trust. that
1: like-minded camaraderie yeah. to be able to think. Yeah. a tribe. I
2: call it a tribe. I, I call it my tribe. Mm-hmm. And, and my tribe is people that I trust and people that won't violate the tribe's rules because they they want to continue to be part of the tribe. But the point is we started investing our capital with people in that tribe, people that were out actively doing things. They were the people who were finding properties, who were rehabbing them. And then we took over as titled owners or we were in a lending position in many cases. I, I believe in both sides of that coin. I like being titled on some things. I like being a lender on some things. You know, The lending position is is the easiest chair at the table. Frankly, you write a check and you get mailbox money, as we call it, back. But anyway, we just started investing with people in that group that were actively involved in the real estate business, people that knew that if they violated the trust of that group, they'd be Mm -hmm. expelled from the group. So the last thing they were going to do was do you know, do one transaction and try and make a home run on it. They're, they're out there hitting singles every day. You know, you don't get rich overnight in real estate investing. You get rich over time, one little single at a time, and you make the runs happen and like in baseball. So we we're just deploying our capital, deploying our capital. And then as we realized that the practice was going to sell and there's a big bump that we had money to invest, uh, we realized that we didn't have to do that. I didn't have to work at the chair until I died. And again, I enjoyed my profession, but we've all seen people who stay in a profession too long. Baseball players, for example, use that analogy again, that stay an extra season or two and they shouldn't be there because they're just trying to make a little extra money. And we've seen it in, in professionals too. It's, um, so for me, it was like I was ready to stretch and do something different. And I wanted to go out of my profession when I was on top. And doing well. And people still ask me in my little town today, it's like, how did you walk away from that? You were doing so well and you had a great business. And I'm like, you know, that's how I want to be remembered. I want to be remembered as somebody that went out on top. And now I'm off to doing something else and helping a whole nother group.
1: I love that. I love that. So um, it's interesting that you talk about um, the the process that you took from the first investment, which it sounds like it was a single family home that you first started with.
2: You know, actually, my f- our first investment was in a syndication that buys non-performing notes, but probably our second investment, not sexy either, was to buy a double white mobile home on Acreage in Texas, mm. and we love those. I mean, although I'm not doing single-family homes anymore and I'm actually selling some of them, my wife will not let me sell the double white mobile homes on Acreage because they are cash cows. I mean, they just are amazing. And the equity bump that we got on those. So, and then we would buy single-family homes, duplexes, fourplexes. You know, our our we we tried to invest in different markets. We tried to invest in boring markets. I'll cite some of them: uh, Birmingham, Kansas City, Indianapolis. Nothing that was going to be a roller coaster ride like a Las Vegas <laughs> or a right. California, or Florida, Arizona. Some of the markets that you hear about. We just wanted steady, eddy markets that were going to appreciate slowly over time. And we wanted markets where the um, the economies were good, and that we were going to have renters that like to stay with us for years to come. So, the the only thing I don't like about single family home investing now is you've you've got to have a lot of bandwidth to to monitor a number of homes. Frankly, I don't monitor them. I have a lady that works for me that, that takes care of all the paperwork oh, on I'm that because I just I I just I have to delegate. I have to create a team to do all this, and so. Um, I I literally have Shannon doing all that paperwork for me on on single family homes, duplexes and fourplexes. And then on commercial projects, I have another team member that helps me with those.
0: So we um, we actually had uh, Jefferson Lilly on and he works in nothing but mobile home parks. And so I could I I certainly understand why your wife doesn't want to get rid of that particular uh, investment uh, because he's very, very successful. to the point where, you know, he he lives actually lives in California, uh, but he he uh, has mobile home parks and in, um, in like Santa Monica and very rich areas because of the cash flowing that you can get um, in those situations. So if you if you were talking about the one thing that you could help our listeners with, like directly, you know, like how they can be involved in some of your projects, how, how would they go about doing that? Well, let me.
2: You know, I get asked this question, Bruce, and that's a great question: is where do I start? And you remember now, my typical avatar, although I speak to people that are outside of that group, are typically busy professionals, and and they ask, well, how do I get started in this? And I say, well, it, it always starts with educating yourself. Uh, and but the problem with that is <laughs> the people I deal with, <laughs> they like to really educate themselves, and then they never take oh, action. We see that some too. Action, up, yeah. yeah some, at some point, you got to take action. you got to take a mm-hmm. step out there. So, you know, I've read 50 books. I've listened to podcasts. What should I do next? Well, I like, actually do something. It would be good. <laughs> but now the second thing that I tell them to do is they have a business in most cases. Most of the people that are calling me or coming to me have an existing business. So I say, well, don't forget about the value of that business if there is a value to it. Some businesses don't have a lot of value, but still dental practices, if you want to use my background... They still have some kind of tangible value. Even going further, if you want to develop that business into a true business where you have other dentists working for you, I would encourage them to do that. The third thing I would say is after you've done those steps, educated yourself, take care of your existing business. Now we can talk about some of these other things you can invest in other asset classes like real estate, whether it be mobile home parks, whether it be actual mobile homes on acreage, whether it be assisted living facilities, commercial office buildings, multifamily, or self-storage. You know, we, we can drill into that deeper, but let's take care of those other things first, and then we can go out into the other things. You know, Does that absolutely. make sense? Thank
0: you for uh, bringing us back on that, because that is actually one of the things we preach. And I and you said something earlier, and, and I'm going to repeat this from another podcast. You know, I always tell a business owner that I work with, I say, okay, if, if you had a hundred thousand dollars that you had in your business account and you wanted to go invest it for whatever retirement is for you, um and you had a financial advisor and he said, "Oh, well, let's put it into the stock market what would you What would you expect a good rate of return to be?" and uh, unbelievably, you know people will say, "Well, I'm hoping to get seven, eight, maybe ten percent." and then I turn it around on them and I say, what if you took that $100,000 and instead invested it back into your business to where you would actually uh, expand to another location or you brought in another dentist in your case? What do you expect that $100,000 could do for the return in the business? And then all of a sudden they say, well, 20, 25% possibly. And I then I try right. to be quiet exactly. and it's hard for me to do sometimes, but they don't even get what I just said to them. I actually have to explain, do you not see that, you know, taking the money out of the business to a position where you don't get additional cash flow only gets you, let's say 10% at the highest. But if you keep it in the business, you get 20%. By your own admissions, you get 20% additional cash flow. But then they come back and they say, and I'm answering your question with a lot of words, but then they come back to me and say, yes, but I eventually want to retire. I said, I understand that, but what we can do is that if you don't want to put it back in your business, let's put it into cash flowing assets now. So just in case you need that cash flow to expand in your business, let's do it like that. And so that's why we recommend real estate, because not only are you going to get the cash flow off of it, but you're also going to get tax advantages, which are another form of cash flow. And the cash flow that we're getting uh, nowadays uh, from the tax benefits from the recent, um, the the jobs acts that uh, President Trump and his administration put in really favor real estate. So are there other things that you could add as far as the tax advantages um, for people going into the real estate realm?
2: Well, before I talk about the tax advantages, I want to just take what you said which is so true, even deeper. And what it tells you is the things that you know about and that you can control and you can move the needle on are things that you should invest in. So whether it's your current business or whether you're moving into real estate investing, at least become uh, knowledgeable enough to know, don't just look, I tell people don't hand money to me in, in an investment we're putting together, get, drill down, ask some tough questions, learn so that you can actually participate in where the real money is, which is if you wish to, if you can be as passive as you want, but if you just want to hand money off to me, I I just don't like, I don't like participating with people like that. I want them to know that, but you're right. They need to know what they're investing in and have some control over now tax advantages real estate hey it's no surprise that a president who had a real estate background put in some great things in the tax law that favor real estate investors but there were things that that were there already and basically it's just government engineering telling us what the government wants us to do and by following the rules that the government sets out for us to invest in real estate we're literally doing what the tax code wants us to do you know the things that people call loopholes are really just gov- the government's engineered the system to say, this is what we want you to do. There's nothing illegal about anything that we're doing in real estate investing. It's just we're taking advantage of the laws that exist now. I mean, first of all, you've got depreciation. And let's talk about commercial investments, which really garner great depreciation because you can do – um you, you know you can do what am I trying to think of the term I'm, I'm spacing
0: 10, out the 1031 no not to ten well the, the
2: 1031s but I'm trying to think of the yeah. um the, I'm spacing out on the term what do we do and cost segregation mm-hmm. cost segregation yeah, yeah I mean now you can write things off over five to seven years and you know mm-hmm. literally half of that investment is written off and then once you've depreciated that basis down what do you do you don't sell it and pay all the capital gains tax you roll it into something else 1031 And then you continue that depreciation. And then what do you do when you die? You don't pay all those. Look, you don't sell your real estate the day before you die because you can pay all the capital gains. You hand it off Mm -hmm. to the next generation or you hand it off to a charity or whatever, and they get it at a new stepped-up basis. So the tax law favors in many ways. And then, of course, there's the amortization, the write-off of interest. Um, I mean, there's just numerous things that make Real estate investing advantageous. Again, it's not it's not an overnight home run. You know, you're not going to buy the rights. You're not going to buy Apple stock and have it worth, you know, 50 times what you bought it for. Uh, it's going to take time. But if you you invest the time and the education to invest in the right assets, over time, look. If you ask people uh, that are wealthy, where did most of them get wealthy? And and so many of them, it was from real estate investing.
1: It comes back to what you know and control. And that's what I heard you say very clearly as well. So you had mentioned um, being in the right assets and investing in the right things and especially having that control and knowing what that is. You also mentioned investing in steady eddy markets and making sure that it's not something that's a roller coaster ride. There's So there's the appreciation portion, then there's cash flow. Can you bring those together for you, what your philosophy is of how you invest for Either appreciation or cash flow and how that ties into what your break even analysis is. So you can figure out how much you need to end up creating so that you can break out of the rat race.
2: Well, I started out as a cash flow only investor and I still that's still where my heart is. But now that I'm a little more active in things, I'm also an appreciation investor too, because not appreciation that you're relying on just Time or something outside of your control of the economy i I'll, I'll cite i'll, I'll look I'll, I'll cite an example. my team had a meeting at eight o'clock this morning central time, and we were looking at a self storage facility in Arkansas. and and we all looked at it and we're like there's no value add proposition to this you there the rent rates are at market there's no place to add facility space there's not another facility nearby that we can uh, acquire as well so To us, the cash flow is nice, but if you're buying something, even if you can get it today at a cap rate of eight and then leverage it, yes, your returns will be, you know, mid-teens with the leverage, okay, that's good, but that's not good enough to bring investors' dollars into it, which is what we want to find. We want to find things that are scalable that we can bring investor dollars in, and if we're going to do that, we can't just rely on that kind of return. We've got to have something that we can push the needle ourselves and so it's, you know, and it's like that in other asset classes, multifamily. What are they looking for? They're looking at places that are poorly managed. The lease up rate is poor. Maybe they can go in and add some washer and dryers into each unit or upgrade the units a little bit. So they're pushing the equity needle on that. And then at the back end, maybe refinancing it, sucking some of that equity out. So mm-hmm. I like cash flow. I like appreciation. I like them both. I, th- I think both are good. So I, I look at both. So I don't know if I answered the whole question there. There may have been more to it. But. Yeah,
1: the other part, and I love what you're saying because you're looking at the long term perspective, not just what cash flow you're going to get today. You are looking at the appreciation as well. And I'm I love that you mentioned the additional portion of the strategy of pulling the equity out because you you have more moves to make. Then it's not just only about the cash flow that you then sell at, you know, at break even. Um, but come back to what would you say is your financial break-even point or not the dollar amount, but how does somebody go about finding their own financial break-even point and then working towards that?
2: Well, I'm glad you asked that question because if they'll come to our website, we have a little formula that they can fill out and uh, they can go through that exercise of saying, what are the assets we have now? What are our expectations? Um, So I encourage them to do that. So at our smart asset opportunities dot com website. If they'll just put in their name and uh, email address, well, we'll, they'll get a little copy of our blueprint, as we call it, uh, to see what their break-even point might be. But, you know, look, as far as a dollar amount, everybody's dollar amount is going to be different based on their scenario, whether they have kids and what age they are and what age they are towards retirement. But my feeling is, as long as you can comfortably build in a little bit of a fudge factor, because there's always surprises in life. You know, if somebody says, well, right now I'm working as a dentist, I'm paying myself a W-2 salary, and then at the end of it, I get a dividend of this much, that's a good start. But, you know, the other thing they don't consider is what are the benefits that they're taking out of that business? You know, they might have a car that they're running through there and so on. So they really have to drill down and analyze things a little bit deeper before they jump off the deep end. And the other thing is, I see people, look, I, I'm, a, I'm an action taker, uh, but I'm not this quick of an action taker. People that would get involved in real estate investing and say, I'm going to quit my day job and I'm just going to move into real mm-hmm. estate investing. You know what? Let's get this started. Let's get the ball rolling. Keep the day job for a while and let's just see how things are going and look at the numbers at the end of one or two tax years. And then you can make a decision to how quickly you can make the transition. And, you know, frankly, I'm not trying to get people out of doing whatever their W-2 job is. If somebody's a dentist, look, one of my best friends that we go to meetings together with, Eric Shelley in Philadelphia, he could retire now from dentistry, but he loves what he's doing. He's doing restored. I mean, he's doing like full mouth restorations under general anesthesia, where he's taking somebody that's a dental phobic, that can't stand to be in a dental chair, and he's completely changing their lives by Mm -hmm. doing what he's doing. He loves that. So why should he quit that? But you know, it's about giving you the freedom to say, if, if I wish to quit, I can. And the other thing is, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. So Absolutely. who knows yeah. if you're going to be able to show up at that dental chair and work tomorrow? I mean, I've literally known dentists that literally did die at the chair, and so they're working on a patient, and that's mm-hmm. their last day of work. So you know, God gave us so many days, and only He knows how many days we've got left. And so you've just got to plan that that could be your last day. So let's get to that financial freedom point as quickly as possible. And then if you wish to keep doing the profession you're doing, that's great.
1: I love that you said that. And that's really one of the goals that most of the people who talk with us and work with us have as well. They're saying, how can I get to financial freedom, which is typically having cash flow from assets that's greater than your expenses, including that fudge factor that you're talking about. And then you want to be able to have that time freedom, too. So it's not just the financial freedom. It's the time freedom to be able to spend it the way that you want. And that doesn't usually mean retirement. That usually means some way of finding an additional way to give back. Um, Oh, I got to tell
2: you, Rachel, I got to interject. I don't measure wealth by money. It's by time. It is the measurement of wealth for me now. And oh, so awesome. the way that I choose to spend my time now, look, I don't believe in retirement. I don't think the Bible talks about retirement. I, I think I agree. We're, we're on earth to serve other people. And so if we can serve other people and surround ourselves with people we want to serve, because there, look, there's some people that can't be helped. And frankly, they're yes. just, I'm sorry, I I I can't help them. And I don't want to surround myself with, with the people of that mindset that don't want to take action. do
1: things. Yeah. They need to have that personal ownership in order to be able to move forward.
2: Yeah. But I, I love that time part because that is so huge. We need to get to the point where we can spend our time with people that we know, like, and trust and people we want to be around. And, um, that that's what it's about. Financial freedom is about getting your time back.
0: You know, I, I always uh, knew that too. Um, your time, your talent, and your capital. We always talk about time, talent, and capital, and and how to actually enhance those. But I'm watching. I'm watching an, an old Charlie Rose uh, interview with uh, Warren Buffett and Bill Gates. And uh, Bill Gates said he owed most of his growth to Warren Buffett for one simple statement that Warren Buffett said was that um, the only he has plenty of money, but the only thing he cannot buy is time. And he said it really opened up his eyes because Bill Gates said, I always felt like I had to be busy, busy, busy and just do things. And and Warren Buffett actually uh, schedules complete days just to work on himself and his thinking and taking care of himself. And we talk about that with our listeners all the time is that, you know, you actually have to, you only have so much time on this earth. So how are you going to spend it? Are you going to spend it in the rat race trying to accumulate this large you know, mound of money, and then all of a sudden you're out of time because the good Lord takes you. Um, it's funny. I had I have a really good dentist friend who I he's such a good friend. I w- he wanted me to be his last patient in his chair, so I was three years ago, and I just found out a couple of weeks ago he has an in, you know an inoperable brain tumor, and so he worked and worked and worked and worked and worked, and he thought, oh, I'm going to enjoy all this retirement, and now within three years it look it doesn't look good for him, so. That's another message that Rachel and I are always trying to get out is structure your life and business so that you are living it the way you want now, not sometime in the future. So thank you for sharing. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing. Good good point. Good point. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So for somebody who is, maybe they're just now in the position of waking up to that same realization that you had, Ross, where you said, The path I'm on is not getting me where I want to go. It's not going to build that time freedom that I want. It's not going to give me the lifestyle I want. We want to invest according to what we know and control. But when you're that person who's just jumping into the investment bucket, if you will, and really taking ownership of investments, how do you figure out that investor identity according to your perspective, how do you figure out what is your investor style when you've just stepped into that door of saying, I'm going to do things a different way from what everyone else is doing in the status quo?
2: Well, I'm still discovering my style because <laughs> it's evolving I with time. That. Okay. <laughs> well, Because I'm not stuck in one asset. I'm fluid, but, but I would definitely tell people don't try and do this on your own. It's the look, just like, and we pick on wall street and I, Get it because some the times they need to be picked on, frankly. And I but if you're <laughs> going to invest in Main Street, if you're going to do real estate things, you, you've got to get involved with some I, I'm just convinced you you've got to get involved in a coaching or mentoring program. And, and again, sometimes those mm-hmm. are run to the back of the room seminars, and I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about a true coaching and mentoring system where you've got an ongoing relationship. With a room full of people that you're meeting with regularly, that they're holding you accountable, that's it's gotta have the trust factor. So I just I would be very careful about trying to look. I got a call from a physician in Michigan the other day. And he's got a contract on a piece of property in Kissimmee, Florida, that he and he's heard that I do self-storage some. So somebody put him in touch with me and he says, Hey, I've got this contract on this property. And he started going through the numbers, and it's just obvious to me this guy he's a smart guy, but he has no idea what he's even into. No mm-hmm. idea what he's into. And, and the people that are trying to sell him this property, they're just wanting to dump this thing on him and uh. leave him to clean up the mess. So I'm like, no, have he doesn't know anything about a feasibility study. He doesn't know anything about, you know, the zoning laws in that area. It's just you've, if he was part of a group, he wouldn't be making those mistakes. I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you need, a you, need to, you need to back out of this contract. It's not a bad, it might be a good property, but you're 45 days into a 60 day contract where you've got, your money's going to go hard. And so you, you've got to back out of this now. Um, so anyway, just be part of a group, be part of a tribe, as I call it, that can help you you know, we can, we can always run. If you're a good, if you're a runner, you can run faster on your own, but you can get further if you're part of a group. So be part of a group and get there further. Don't worry about getting there first. Worry about getting there together further. So.
1: Oh, that's awesome. And I think you're just sharing so much that is valuable life information. I mean, this isn't even just in your investments, but if you're going to grow a business, it's the same thing. If you're going to do anything worth doing, doing it in community really helps you learn so much more and see outside of your own perspective. Cause I think sometimes we can get stuck in our own head and think we're making great decisions and be completely off track. And we need those other people to really help guide and shape us. So.
2: And Rachel, if I might say something yeah. about working with other people, I have a team of people that work with me. I, I delegate. I, I, I can't do all this on my own with the, and I'm not even doing that much. I mean, but we talked earlier about how Shannon takes care of, our personal investments and i have natalie on my team who helps with commercial investments and investor relations people that we're bringing in because you've got to nurture those people they have questions and they and that's great we want them to ask questions and then i have got ivy in the philippines that helps us identify um things that we might want to target for acquisition and then i've got my wife mary who's not actively involved day to day on things but she has the veto power to say something smells funny about this cuz pardon my french her bullshit meter's a lot better than mine and she <laughs> yeah. she can she knows things that i would never think about so if she says no that's it i don't need to ask anymore i'm just like all right that's it we're, we're going to look at something else cuz so we've got you know i've got a team Here And then I've got a team of people on each project because, you know, I'm working on something in Birmingham, Alabama. Well, I'm not a contractor in Birmingham. I'm not an architect in Birmingham. I'm not a property manager in Birmingham. You've got to create a whole nother team in that market to take care of those things. So it's not just about meeting this initial tribe, mentoring tribe. Then it's about creating teams, other teams outside of that.
1: Well, that allows you to stay in your zone of genius, really, and be able to focus on what you do best and then right. prosper together with others. that's that's, that's excellent. Like,
2: yeah. We're not exactly sure what it is that I do best, but <laughs> I, I will say I th- you know I think I think the best thing that I do is is creating networks, creating teams. I think that's really probably my strongest.
1: That's excellent. And I love that you're still discovering that and that you're open to it because I think you're modeling that continual learning that I think any of us needs if we are going to go against the grain of what the rest of society says and figure out how to build time and money freedom. Uh, So I love that. Right. So you mentioned um, before we started recording a little bit that you are utilizing privatized banking, and I would just love to hear kind of your perspective on that. Just whatever you feel comfortable sharing, but why why is it something that's valuable to you, and um, how has that improved in your investing strategy?
2: Well, I'm not that knowledgeable about it, but a couple of quick points I will say this: the idea that your money can be working in two different places at the same time,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and the fact that you've got liquidity. Um, you know, I was just recording a voice memo for Kelly, who's my ghostwriter for my weekly blog. I record things and then she, you know, because I, I, I sit in front of a blank screen and I can't get anything done. But I, we, I was talking to, uh, saying to her, because something is going to come up in a few weeks is, how do you invest in a downturn like we had in 2007, 2008? Because the capital dries up. Um, and if you've got liquidity, if you've got capital, either other people's capital, other investors' capital, or if you've got capital that's in like a privatized banking system, you've got money that's available to you to utilize in those downturns. So, mm-hmm. and, and then we can go into asset protection. There's that too. And I know there's different rules by different states by how much is protected. But there's just a lot of advantages to um, the concept of a privatized banking system. And so I know you guys help people with that. And so... I encourage people to reach out to you about that because it does have a lot of investing advantages, a lot of asset protection advantages and liquidity advantages when you need money to invest, you know, lost opportunity cost. You don't want to miss out on something. And when it's there, that liquidity is, is there for you when you need it.
1: That's excellent. And I do appreciate you sharing that. I think it's even more valuable sometimes for somebody to hear from somebody who's using it, not just from somebody who teaches about it. So I appreciate you sharing that um, in that capacity. And then,
2: but you know, that's, a, that's another thing that <laughs> typical, I won't use traditional mm-hmm. Bruce. Okay. Cause that's the wrong word, but the, t- you know, what do we typically hear? We typically, and I heard it all my life. It seems like buy term insurance investor, yep. arrest, right? Mm-hmm. So it goes against the grain. And so people have a hard time getting themselves wrapped, their head wrapped around that concept. But once you start looking at it closer, you're like, this just makes sense. It's just something that wasn't explained to me uh, you know for many years and so good anyway that that's great i'm glad you touched on that thank you
1: well and i'm thankful that you um were willing to share about that as well because um just the open mindedness to be able to say maybe what i thought i knew about something isn't really the full truth and i think just that right. openness to question and being an independent thinker in any capacity that i mean that's the same exact um mindset that allowed you to move over into real estate investing instead of just doing the, the typical investing model. It's the same thing that I think makes somebody open-minded to say, how could this benefit me in a way that I wasn't previously aware of? And that education then comes after the open-mindedness. So thanks for
0: sharing. Right. So Ross, you're, um, you're a lifelong learner and you say you, you don't understand where your investment style is now. Do you, are you starting to lean one way or another? So I think you had you mentioned you're getting away from single families as much and maybe towards multiple, but is it towards storage facilities? Uh, where, where are you on this journey?
2: Yeah. Okay. So, so that's a great question, Bruce. Basically what I saw was that was single family. There was nothing wrong with that. I mean, we, we replaced our t- transactional income with single family homes, duplexes and fourplexes, but where, where I was stuck was how can I help other people? It's not, it's not scalable for me to bring other people to the table and help them mm-hmm. because I'm not going to be out at auctions buying single family homes and helping Dr. Smith somewhere across the country know how to walk him through the process of taking title to the home and doing all the things he needs to do. So I, I realized that I, I had to transition to something more commercial if I was going to help other people. So All right, so then you get involved in commercial real estate investing, and we've invested in multifamily, we've invested in assisted living, we've invested in mobile home parks, um, commercial office buildings, but most of that work, Bruce, was helping other people raise capital for those events, okay, and so we can get down in the weeds about SEC rules, but frankly, that's not a real good place to be either raising capital and bringing it to events. I didn't want to be there. So um, what I found was that that I really needed to be more on the forefront of finding opportunities, um, whether it be existing of Mm -hmm. facilities, whether it be multifamily or some other asset class. And yeah, you mentioned self-storage. That's, that's our main emphasis now is looking for self-storage facilities, either existing ones that need a little more love, that they're not being taken care of properly, or some kind of value add, or some type of uh, repurposing of some of these retail businesses that we see are going out of business because of Amazon and so on. Mm-hmm. So we got Kmart's closing, we got Toys R Us closing, other retail facilities closing, it can be converted into storage rather quickly. Uh, we've invested in one in Illinois across the river from St. Louis that was a car dealership in Wood River, Illinois. So there's another repurposing of an existing building. A car dealership moved somewhere else, went to a better, wherever they went and here this gigantic building is left empty. Or in the case of what we're doing in Birmingham, which is a ground up development. So um, there's a lot of opportunities in self-storage. You know, people are, You know, as they get to 60 or 65, they might be downsizing the size of their home or they may have two homes. And so they need some place to store things in both locations. You've got millennials that are coming up, buying homes less frequently, living in apartments, but they still have the experiential things like snowboards and things that they Mm -hmm. still want to have. And then you've got uh, people that are moving into assisted living facilities, but nobody wants to sell any of grandma's stuff. So we're just going to put it in storage, okay? So there's a real opportunity for there. So I guess to answer your question, I found that being passive and investing is where we started. Being somewhat active is where I graduated to. And now I'm taking a more active role in finding properties so that I can help other people invest in those properties because I've still got people that are coming behind me in the uh, chain, if you will. Those W two transactional income doctors that still want to get started, they want to invest with somebody that they know, like and trust, and so I'm bringing opportunities to them. I hope that answers the question. No,
0: that's yeah, that's really good. And and storage facilities are, are things that I've evaluated in the past. Uh, and my reasoning for it is they also appeared to be very recession proof, uh, because a lot of people unfortunately lose, you know, their jobs. They downsize uh, from a bigger apartment to a smaller apartment or unfortunately some people downsize from a, a large home into an apartment so i think there it's, it's also a uh, it's also recession proof a part of uh, real estate
2: i call it recession resistant because i don't like to say anything's proof but yeah, uh, yeah, yeah you know, i stay away from those promises and guarantees but you're right i mean yeah. when when things are good people are buying a lot of stuff when people uh, when things aren't so good like you say they're moving from an a property to a B property or B to a C and they've got less room. And so they need a place to store things because they can't possibly stand to, uh, you know, give up these treasures that they've had. And so, uh, storage is a pretty solid business. So.
0: So what do you think about turnkey investment, um, models where people basically, um, you know, turn over an amount of money. The person, the, the company has already found the property. They rehab the property. They, they property manage the property. Um, what do you think about that as a, a form of uh, real estate investment for people? Well,
2: I love it because that's where we started. That's just not where we're at now. I mean, again, yeah. it gets back to the people, you know, like, and trust, but if you've got a friend like our friend, Merv in Birmingham, which is how I kind of got introduced to the Birmingham market. Merv would call me up and say, I'm going to the auction. I've got a house. I'm going to rehab it. My all in might be 60000 By the time it's rehabbed, it's worth $85,000. And he also has the property management. That's key, as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and he takes care of leasing it and, and taking care of everything. And we just get the mailbox money. You know, so those kind of leverage single family homes. If you're talking about in the eighty to hundred twenty thousand dollar range, which I know some people listening to this living in California are going, I didn't even know there were homes that existed. For <laughs> <Right>. that <now." laughs> but there still are markets All where they exist, yeah. and and you know you leverage you leverage those, and maybe they're making three hundred three hundred fifty dollars a month. Great place to start. The other thing is, if you're investing in that niche. The, if if there's a mistake, it's not fatal. Okay, I mean it might hurt you a little bit, but it's not going to kill you. And then I tell people if you're going to do that, make sure you get to ten pretty quickly because one of them is probably going to be vacant at any one time. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to buy just one rental property. So I like the turnkey model if you're dealing with the right people. And again, I I will I'll make a pretty big statement now. I will not buy a property like that unless the person is going to be on the back end doing the property management too. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to buy a turnkey property from somebody who turns me over to a third party that they, they don't have any control over I want to be able to say to Merv hey your property management stinks I'm not going to buy another property from you Now I've never had that problem with Merv, but I'm just saying right. he knows that if he doesn't control the entire process I'm not going to come in on the front end and buy any more properties from him, and I'm not going to recommend that either so he's got a lockdown system, and so do others that we invested with, like on the double white mobile homes in Texas that are on acreage, so they can have a cow or a horse out there, you know. So nice. shoot a rifle or whatever. So
1: nice. So as yeah. um as we're kind of looking at the top of the hour here, if somebody wanted to connect with you, I know you mentioned the um the formula for finding out their break-even point, the blueprint that you give them. Um how does smart asset opportunities that you're running then? Connect people over to investments. I know you mentioned what you're doing in the self storage um, facility, but how does that connection point work? Yeah. And how would somebody reach out to you if they wanted to? Uh,
2: I encourage people to come to our website, smartassetopportunities.com, and if you take the e and the t off the asset, you can see it might smell spell smart <laughs> ass because okay? I am a little bit of a smart aleck. Okay,
1: but I, I, I was wondering. To to there was the web- some strategic yeah. creative naming there.
2: Yeah, yeah, that that's where it came from. So <laughs> I, I encourage them to come to our website, sign up for my weekly blog, kick the tires a little bit, see if you're comfortable with what we're espousing. Um, and if they do come, they'll get the the uh, blueprint. And then if they come because of the podcast, we'll give them a copy of my book, which was a compilation of twelve to thirteen professionals and their freedom path to how they reach their freedom point. So uh, it's called Why Not Freedom? Get off the treadmill. And um, so um, that's a book we can give them if they want it. But to answer your question further, then if they're on our blog list, we occasionally have educational webinars where either myself or some other promoter that I know, like, and trust will be presenting an educational webinar about an opportunity that's coming up. And then if they attend that webinar, then they can reach out separately to that promoter, whether it's me or somebody else to get the PPM and the offering memorandum and all that and see if they're interested in investing in the property. So that's how it would come about. And just to be transparent, most of our opportunities are for accredited investors only. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're 506 Cs. Yeah. And um, so our syndications are typically for accredited investors only. But uh, but the educational materials there, and that's for anybody. And, you know, look, if somebody's not an accredited investor, what's your goal? To be an accredited That's investor, right. okay. Mm-hmm. So, 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 learn how accredited investors are behaving, Absolutely. and model that behavior, and become an accredited investor.
1: Absolutely, so, we speak about you know, that all we'll the help time. Help
2: them get there quicker. Yeah,
0: yeah. Rachel, That's Rachel, excellent. Rachel will end the podcast with uh, model the successful few. So uh, we we uh, we also talk about uh, if you want uncommon wealth, you have to do things in an uncommon way. So that's exactly what you're talking about is if you want to become an accredited investor, you got to figure out how these accredited investors are handling their money. I mean it's it's not right. that difficult.
1: And honestly Rocket
0: Science. Yes. And
1: honestly Roth, that is one of the reasons that I was so excited and just thankful and honored at the opportunity to have the conversation with you today because watching somebody who has built that freedom for themselves personally, and then is also helping other people do that. It's just a fascinating opportunity for us to be able to share your wisdom, your experience with our audience, and really be able to model you as a successful few. So thank you so very much for being here today.
2: Well, I I appreciate that because I know you guys have the same mission is to help lift other people up. And so I admire you for that. And thank you for having me on.
1: Absolutely. Well, thank you, Ross. This has been a fabulous conversation. And we'll talk again soon. In closing, remember, success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd, and build a life and business that you love. Do you have an established business and make great income, but feel like you can never get ahead or just plain have financial confusion? Get the business owner's three-step roadmap to achieve time and financial freedom without working harder or sacrificing your lifestyle. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash roadmap to get your roadmap and free training. And when you register, you'll also get access to our ultimate money finder cheat sheet that you can use to recover lost cash flow and save on taxes.
0: Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on the MoneyAdvantage.com.